I beg your pardon this evening. I froze this afternoon. I remember when I was packing my bag, I saw two sweatshirts folded on my bed, and I thought, should I bring those? I'm going to Arizona. It's a dry heat. So I borrowed Gary's sweatshirt today, and I put a hat on my head. Would it be okay if I spoke to you tonight with a hat on? Is that okay? I don't want to offend anyone. Where I'm from, it's offensive. But I think if I took my hat off right now, my hat head would be more offensive. So we're going to leave it where it's at. Well, are you good? Have you had a good day? How many are thankful to be at camp meeting this year? I mean, it's just been 24 hours, less than 24 hours for some of us. And already we sense that God's doing something very special in each one of our lives this year. Let's bow our heads one more time. Precious Father, thank you for your goodness tonight and for your love. Now, Lord, just be with us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Tonight, take your handouts with me. Everyone have a handout? If you need a handout, raise your hand. We'll try to get... Whoa, there they are again. They were on the back table. All right, perfect. Tomorrow night, maybe... How many, how many are only here for the weekend? You're not going to be here tomorrow night. I am going to miss you. Will you be back next weekend? Perfect. Those of you who are staying, you'll have more ability to breathe tomorrow night. As much as we'll miss those that are leaving. Once again, for those of you who don't know anything about me, you can either pick up the book or go online or both. Check out our website on the bottom of your handout. We'll talk more about that next weekend. As a... As a speaker, it's always a challenge for me to say something different. And I'll tell you why that is. In my journey since I became a Christian in my mid-teens, there have been certain key concepts that have revolutionized my relationship with God. How many have ever encountered one of those before? There are certain key concepts that I feel very passionate about. And as I travel from church to church, many times you've only got four shots in a weekend to really effect lasting change before you have to depart. And if you feel passionate about some things, you find yourself saying the same things over and over and over again. I am thankful to finally have them in a book so that I can just say, go read the book. And I can actually start saying something different. 
Well, tonight I want to experiment with you for something with something that I have wanted to do with an audience for two years now, but have not had the opportunity to do it. So I know this is risky. I was raised with a mother who was a hairdresser. I know what it means to have new things experimented on you with. I didn't have any siblings, so it was all me. Sorry, I got stuck in one of those memories. Seeing therapy about that. I want to take a verse that's become especially meaningful to me of recent. And I love this verse. You see, the first few years of being an Adventist, and I'm just, I'm just going to tell you my journey. Is that okay? It's my story. Not picking on anybody. I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong. I'm not saying we're weird. I'm just saying this is my journey. I was raised in a pretty liberal home. I became an Adventist and I was looking for structure, looking for answers, looking for utopia, looking for black and white. You understand what I mean by all of that? I found myself very quickly perusing the spirit of prophecy with a passion. Not necessarily to encounter God and His grace or His love and His mercy. But I found myself, as I underlined, I was on a quest just to find out how God would have me live. Anyone ever been there before? Be honest. Anyone ever been there? Went through and I found all the things that she says we should spend an hour a day doing. Realized I needed to sleep less. But a few years back, I came to the conclusion one morning in my time with Jesus. God just spoke to me and said, Herb, do you remember how you used to search her writings for how you should live? What if you looked at Paul and Timothy and Peter and James? and What if you looked to them as your, the code by which you lived by? And I thought, well, I might not get all the clear answers I need on how I should eat or shouldn't eat. But I'll try it. Trying to base my life, not just my picture of God, but even my life, on how the Bible says we should live. I know that sounds common sense, but at that time in my walk with Jesus, that was a novel thought. That was new to me. That as an Adventist, I could actually base my lifestyle standards on the Bible as well as my theology. 
And after all, we're told if we were studying our Bibles, we wouldn't have needed her in the first place. Amen? And so I've come across this verse, and this verse, as I've said, has become especially meaningful to me. It's Ephesians 5. I've given it to you in six translations. That tells you how much I think about it. I love this verse. Are you with me? I love it. Therefore, be what? This is so simple, but it is so profound. If you want to know how to live, find out what God's like and just do what he does. Isn't that a simple thought? Look at it. Be imitators of God as beloved children and notice what it says. Walk in what? That is a command. Just as much as the fourth commandment is, this is. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The, the next version I have there, since you are God's dear children. Now, I don't like this next part, but we'll get over it. Not every translation hits it on the head, amen? Some of them have agendas, but we're smart enough to figure out what's an agenda and what's truth, amen? I mean, God is teaching us along the way, amen? We're not governed by a spirit of fear. God says, come let us reason together, amen? Too much of what we do, I think, sometimes is driven by one of two emotions, either guilt or fear. It says, since you are God's your children, you must try to be like him. That doesn't sit well with me. Try to be like him? I don't know about you, I was raised on Star Wars. I read stuff like that, and Jared, what do you think? Try to be like him. What do you think? Try to be like him. Jared was raised on Star Wars. Try to be like him. There's a word there. Jared, sit down. It's my turn. Yes! There are other people who have been corrupted in life. Do or do not. There is no yes. I don't like it. But it says, your life, I love this part, though, of the translation. Your life must be controlled by what? Not only must we live a life of love, it must be controlled and motivated. It's not just what we do. It's the motive whereby which we do it. It's the empowerment by which we do it. We've all read the famous statement, by love is love awakened. That's right. I love as love awakened. It says, just as Christ loved us and gave his life for us as a sweet smelling offering and sacrifice that pleases God. Look at the next translation. Therefore, be what? Imitators of God as dearly loved children. Do you realize tonight that the God of this universe loves you dearly? You are his beloved child in whom he is well pleased. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And notice what Paul said, live in what? Now some of you are uncomfortable already. Too much already, isn't it? Somebody, somebody's already ready to stand up and say, like we said this morning, enough. Bear with me. I think this... Oh, thank you, Josh. I think... I think that we have been conditioned by a Hollywood understanding of what love really is. 
And so therefore we don't really understand what John meant when he said God is love. We've got our own ideas of what love is. And that, yes, too, much, too many times we become saturated with. But don't allow your saturation with a counterfeit to turn you against the subject altogether. Because if you have a problem with love, you're going to have a problem in eternity. Because the Bible states, if you have a problem with love, you're not really having a problem with me or what I'm talking about or what our ministry is about. The Bible says God is love. you got a problem with a lot bigger dude than me. Do you understand? It's what he is. It's not even what he made. It's not even what he created. Love is what God is. And we are going to be pursuing the depths of what he is throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Can you imagine that? Every day discovering something deeper about the love that beats for you in the heart of God. That's heaven, amen? That's what it's about. I mean, I don't care if the streets are made of dirt if we got that stuff, amen? I mean, really? Look at it from the Amplified Version. Therefore, be, what does it say? Imitators of God. Before you can imitate someone, what do you, what do you have to do? You have to study him. I picked up this morning. I love this. I, picked, I was in a car this morning on the way to town, and I picked up in the floorboard, there was a little Ministry of Healing. How many of you ever read that book, Ministry of Healing? That's a killer book. Some of the chapters. Some of the chapters are like, what? Other chapters are really, really spot on. At least I do. I think, wow. Okay, I need to read that again. But I picked up this morning, I flipped it open, and I don't even remember what the ch- chapters are. Forgive me. It, I don't even know what the page number was or the chapter title or anything. But I promise you, it's in the book. If you'll read the thing from cover to cover, you'll find it. It's in there. <laughs> Go read it. She said, the only way, the only way. How many does that leave? Th- this is it. The only way that the character of God can be reproduced among us as a people is that we would come to know him. That's a powerful step. That that's so profound. We don't even realize. Because many of us are still trying to go about it in a lot of different other ways. Come to know him. Be imitators of God. Come to know him. Copy him. Follow his example, it says. As well-beloved children imitate their father. And walk in What? Esteeming and delighting in one another. Esteeming and delighting in one another. Esteeming and delighting in one another. Do you know what that means? Yes. That I'm going to come to church on Sabbath morning and I am going to just delight in you. And you and me, I hope. We're going to talk about 1 Peter 4, 7, and 8 next Saturday night, a week from now. And a little precursor to that, Paul, Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be intense in your love for one another. Now, I travel almost every weekend, and I'm in a different church almost every weekend. 
I have discovered in doing that there are a lot of flavors of Adventism on this planet. And there are some times when I'll walk into a church and I will wonder how on earth I got there. Did they not listen to any presentations before they invited me? There's just, they are just so, okay God, this is a you thing because I don't know why I'm here. I walk away from some churches and I say, wow, that was intense. Anyone ever been in a situation like that among a religious group? Well, Peter says we're to be intense, but intense in our love for one another. I can't wait for the day when people walk away from visiting one of our churches and say, wow, that was intense. And they mean this, that we were, they felt esteemed, loved, delighted in as Christ. And this is the kicker. I don't understand this at all. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Do you see the standard? That's intense. Do you see the standard? Nothing less than Calvary will do. I don't know about you, but I'm just being honest tonight. I am not at a place in my sanctification where I am willing to give up my spot in heaven for you. I'm not there yet. But Jesus was, wasn't he? And he wants to transform us into that same image. Where like Paul, we would rather be anathemed for our fellow brethren. Or like Moses, blot my name out if you can't forgive. That's incredible love, is it not? How many were willing to go, how many would be willing to let God do that transformation in your life? Yeah, there's a few of you. Some of you are like, well, he's going to have to do it without me knowing it. <laughs> I have met people where God has had to inflict stealth sanctification on. They didn't even know he was doing it, but they were becoming more like him every day. Matter of fact, that's probably when it's really working, when we're not really aware of it. Revised English Bible, these are my roots. It says, in a word, as God's dear children, you must be like him. Live in love as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you on behalf of an offering and a sacrifice whose fragrance is pleasing to God. And once again, yes, I know the controversies that surround this translation, but I, or this paraphrase rather, but I'm going to use it anyways because I love what he says here. Watch what God does. Amen? Watch what God does. Come to know what he's really like. And then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. And some people say, Herb, but we can't be like God. That is the biggest lie Satan has fed us for too many years. His biddings are enablings. And yes, you alone cannot do it. I know sin is powerful, is it not? But I still contest that what God is always much more abounds. Amen? God's love, the gospel, is stronger than any other power in your life if you'll surrender to it. Amen? But being like God may look very different than what we expect it to. We must be ready for that as well. Because we have our own idea of what it means to be righteous and holy, don't we? 
I mean, John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And, and bless his heart, God used him. Amen? Amen? He was a prophet without honor. But what was John the Baptist known for? What was he known for? Talk to me. Baptizing. Yes, he baptized a lot of people. Yes, we got that part. What else? He was a forerunner of Christ. But, when they, but, but they didn't know that back then. What did the people back then know him for? Yeah, he was dunking people, but what did they know him for? Yeah, he was wearing. And he, he was an Adventist. He was known for what he, and what he, and you laugh. You say, well, I don't think that's what Adventism is. I don't either. But that's what everyone else out there thinks what Adventism is. Just being honest. I know, I know, I know that's not what it's all about. But sometimes we give that impression. Jesus, on the other hand, and I'm not recommending this. Well, maybe I am. Did I just say that? I'm not recommending you be like Jesus. Well, maybe I am, but it'll get you in trouble. They would not have called Jesus. No. They would not have called John the Baptist a wine-bibber and a glutton. Would they? Careful, Vance. You're pushing the illustration a little too far. They would not have called John the Baptist a wine-bibber and a glutton, but they did Jesus. Not because of his behavior, but because of those he chose to associate with. And what was the driving force that drove him to associate with sinners? He genuinely loved them. He genuinely esteemed them. He felt passionately for them. He was drawn to them. Watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Now I would take issue with that if Eugene was here. Mostly? No. That's all God does. Just like a parent expresses it though in many different ways. It's still all what? Love. Keeping company with him, learn a life of what? How many would like to just stop there tonight and just say, Lord, wow, really? This is what you're asking of me? Lord, please, teach me what it means to live a life of love. How many would be willing to at least say that? Lord, teach me what it means. What does it mean to live a life of love, to really be like you? Who gave himself, sorry, different one. Keep coming to him, learn his life of love, observe how Christ loved us. And this is why I threw this in here. His love was not cautious, but what? Extravagant. We don't understand that. We as a people, we are very reserved. Some of us are generous. 
but Jesus loved us with an, an extravagant love. And I didn't term that series, those of you who have gone through that series with me, according to this, but I think it's cool that that series has the same title as this verse. A life of extravagant love. He didn't love, this is it. He didn't love, did not love in order to, what does it say? Get something from us. But to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Can you imagine the opinion of Christianity that this world would have if we had loved the world like this? Not to get, but to give. A few years ago, I was being introduced to my father's side of the family. Some of you know that story. It's in the book. If you don't, it's coming to know my father for the first time. And I do. I said I was an only child a minute ago, but that's really not true because I have four other siblings. They grew up with my father, though, and I grew up with my mother. So in reality, I'm an, although I have half siblings from other marriages. And it's interesting, when you're in the world, people don't always assume, well, that's not right. That's not a good way to say it. There's just a different code of life when you're out there, isn't there? It's kind of a survival of the fittest. Sorry, I'm not an evolutionist, but that's kind of what it's like out there. Yeah. And I show up and I get, I'm getting to know my father. And what do you think my siblings are thinking? Now you have to understand my father has some assets. Do you know what that means? I show up and I'm getting to know my father now as an adult. And what do you think my siblings are thinking? And we had to work through that. I had to be very careful with that in the, in the beginning. Now they've come to trust me because they know I'm there not to see how much I can get from the family, but to learn about my family and see how much I can contribute to give. Their response is completely different. Love like that. Not to get, but to give. I still think we undercut this whole subject. We devalue it. We underrate it. Romans 13.10, Paul said, Love is the fulfillment of the what? Now, I know that should ring bells for all of us, shouldn't it? I mean, I remember when I first became an Adventist, and some of you heard this story too, but really, there was one burning conviction I had on my heart. Three weeks of studying my Bible, one burning conviction on my heart. I had better go to church on Saturday, or I was going to get the plagues. That was it. That's all I knew. That's all I knew. But it was enough. And thank God he takes us where we're at. Amen? Amen. I found the nearest Adventist church and got dunked. My uncle yelled out from the back of the sanctuary, You better dunk that one twice. <laughs> he was a heathen. Now he's a pastor. <laughs> In the Adventist church. I think God has a real neat way of doing that. 
If you want a real head trip, if you have a pastor that used to be, that's a convert to Adventism, ask him what they used to be like. That'll mess you up for a while. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law, how much of the law? The whole law is fulfilled in how many words? One word in a statement, you shall love your neighbor as... I remember when I first became an Adventist, I was so passionate about so many different things. Everybody had to hear about 666. Everybody did. And it's in the Bible. Am I right? So we laugh, but we've all been there. And it's biblical, but everybody had to hear about it. Everybody had to hear about the mark of the beast. Everybody had to hear about the state of the dead. Everybody had to hear all these things. Then I had to get new friends. People would try and talk to me, and I was so zealous. But hell-bent with a wrong emphasis. They would try to sit down and talk to me, Herb, you need to look at this a little bit too. You need to have some balance. You need to... And I would look at them, and I remember this coming out of my mouth one day to a pastor friend of mine who was trying to instill some balance in this young idealistic teenager he would say to me Herb what you need to understand is the gospel and I know those of you who know me now will have a hard time believing that I actually said this out loud but I remember saying to him the gospel we're Adventists we've got that what we need to figure out is this law thing Uh, literally what I said God forgive me. Thanks, Jared. Yes, we should be passionate about the law. Amen? Not just the gospel, but the law as well. Amen? Amen? Did God give both? Sinai and Golgotha, they're both in the Bible, are they not? Two mountains in which light was revealed. And I know, I know Calvary is a revelation of God and I think the brighter revelation of God. But is the law a revelation of the character of God as well? Yes, and so there's something of value in it, amen? Yes, but what we need to learn is even though we are people of the law, so to speak, that's not what we like to call ourselves, but that's just because we haven't admitted it yet. Even if we are people of the law, if that's really true, we should be the most loving people on the planet, should we not? Should we not? That doesn't discredit any of the other stuff we're doing, though, because remember what Jesus said. These that you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, these things you should have done without leaving the others See, some of you are uncomfortable because you're thinking I'm saying this instead of, and I'm not. But I am concerned that we have specialized in a lot of areas and left out the most important. And we've been deceived into thinking that to focus on it is lowering the standard or drifting into heresy or apostatizing. There is still among us, and I wish it wasn't, but there is still among us a grave fear to really stop and set love as the standard among us. We're afraid of something. 
be imitators of God. Watch what He does. Live the life of what? Of love. What does it look like? I want to explain. I want to share with you. There's a series I have online. It's absolutely free. I'm not selling you anything. You can go online to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and download a series called Life Unlimited. If you'll go through that series. Has anybody gone through that series? That series is, that's another, for me even, I sit there and I'm giving that series at times and I'm halfway through and I'm like, God, this is the most incredible stuff you have ever shared with me. I mean, it blows me away every time I present it. Because even down to everything we believe about health, you can boil it down to one principle. Do you know what it is? Love. Love. How many would like to see all of what we believe? Really, it's just a lens through which to see the love of God. How many would like to see what we teach in that light? I want to encourage you, download that series absolutely free. You'll be blessed by it. Where do you get it? RenewedHeartMinistries.com Renewed Heart Mission, the title is called Life Unlimited. James 2 verse 8, If however you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. Now this was James. What is James famous for? Luther said if he rewrote the New Testament, which book would he leave out? James. He hated the book of James. Why? What is James famous for saying? You're not justified by faith, you're justified by your... Oh, that drives some people nuts. What is James saying? But even James, the works dude, he even defined what works are. According to him, fulfilling the law, even for James, was, was what? Love. Love. And I mentioned it this morning, and we need to go back to it. Remember, or was it last night? I don't remember, but half you weren't here last night, so that's okay. I'll repeat it. God comes down on Mount Sinai. He sets the mountain ablaze. Read it with me. It says, now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord, the Lord himself now descended upon it in what? Can you imagine what this would have looked like? God himself is showing up on planet earth. He's descending in fire. It's smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked violently. This was very dangerous. So much so that three days previous, he told Moses and the elders to set up borders around the mountain and back up and don't let anybody come close. I'm about to do something incredibly big, but I don't want anybody to get hurt. He comes down on Mount Sinai. He blows the top off of this big, huge mound of dirt. He gets everybody's attention. Everybody is riveted. Matter of fact, they are scared to death. Does he have their attention? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever he says, Moses, you go talk to him. And God, for one of the few times in human history, speaks with his own voice. He's got everyone's attention and he's about to tell us what matters to him most. And the most important thing to God, when you boil it all down, what did he say on that mountain? It's how we treat each other. Isn't it? 
It's how we treat each other. Because after all, love by nature is other-centeredness, is it not? And the older I get, the more I realize there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that are messed up. Isn't there? Isn't there? There's going to be a lot of people in heaven that don't all agree theologically at first, correct? I mean, that may happen like year 207 into the millennium. I don't know. But we're not all going to start off on the same page, am I right? But I guarantee you what? We may not always see things eye to eye when we get there, but I guarantee you this. There will be a spirit there that either you will feel comfortable with or you will feel tormented by. And the only ones that will be there are those that feel comfortable in the presence of love. Heaven starts here, does it not? The most important thing to God is how we treat one another. Hebrews 5. I'm going to address this. Before someone says this to me this week, I would like to just address it here. Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, verse 2. How many know what this passage talks about? You can read it real quick. What is Paul talking about here? Spiritual maturity. And he, compare, he contrasts two things here that we like to throw around. The... Milk and the wham. Milk and the meat, sorry. Milk and the meat. A lot of times, people come to me and they say, Herb, enough of the milk. When are we going to get to the meat? We really... And I'm saying this about myself, myself included. We really don't have a clue. We really don't. Let me tell you, the Sabbath is really easy to prove. The state of the dead is really easy to prove. Hellfire, really easy to prove. And I'm sorry, even the 2300 days, if you're proficient at math... That's, that's the qualifier. Is easy to prove. We can take teenagers with no prior biblical knowledge, stick a DVD in their hand, send them to a third world country, present these things, and thousands will be baptized. It is not that hard. But reconciling God's love with some of the stories of the Old Testament... Now that's a little more difficult, am I right? It's a little harder, isn't it? Reconciling God's love with some of the garbage that we've had to go through in our own lives. If God loves me, then why? That's a little bit harder, isn't it? And I'm sorry, I would much rather the standard be don't listen to rock and roll and don't eat cheese. Because I could pull that off. But when God says, learn to love your enemies. You didn't just lower the standard, God. You just raised it. 
You raised it so out of my reach that this is going to have to be a you thing inside of me because I can't do that. There will be vegetarians in hell. You realize that? My point in saying that is that anybody can be a vegetarian. But the Bible is clear. Only those who know God and are born of God really love others. That's, that's a God thing. That's a miracle, is it not? So please don't belittle it. Let's look at what Paul says. Concerning him, we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing, he says. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, now watch this, leaving the elementary teaching. The what kind of teaching? The elementary. So this would be the the milk or the meat? This is the meat. Let us leave the elementary teachings about the Christ. Let us press on to maturity. Not laying the foundation again of what? Repentance. Faith, instruction about washings, that's clean and unclean. You catch that. It comes from the same chapters in the Bible. The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. What is Paul referring to here? These are the doctrines. Are you hearing me? Now, don't misunderstand me. Are the doctrines vital? Yes, do we need to know them? Are they the elementary foundations of what we believe? Yes, you cannot see. I'm sorry. Some of you, please don't get offended at this. But my own journey, I could not see. That's probably a safer way to say it in the postmodern world. I could not see the God that I worship now if it were not for the lens of our Adventist teachings. Are you with me? I am thankful for our doctrines. Are you with me? But I'm telling you, I don't care how amazing they are. It is time to grow up. Are you hearing me? Let's stop arguing about the simple things. And start chewing on some meat. Amen? The gospel is not the milk, brothers and sisters. When you come to wrestle with the gospel and what Jesus defined God to be with even the rest of Scripture, sometimes you've got to chew on that for a while before you can swallow it. I contest that it's the nature of God, His love and His character that are the meat, not the milk. That's the meat. And some people don't survive it. Second Corinthians 5.14, Herb Howe. Well, I know some of you are like me. All you need to be told is what to do, and you'll just go do it. Anybody else out there like that? 
Just lay it on the line. Herb, tell me what to do. I'll do it. You don't have to think. You don't have to. Just tell me what to do. Give me a verse. Convince me. And I'm good. Some of you are just like me. And so you walk out of here saying, live the life of love. Live the life of love. Live the life of love. I've got it. And so you'll go out of here and you know what you'll try to do? Live the life of love. And what will happen in the next 60 minutes? One of those golf carts will cut you off. Oh, live the life of love. Live the life of love. Hear me. I'm quoting. You cannot love others by trying to love them. What is needed is the love of God for you in your soul. Amen? For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for how many? How many? Therefore all what? It changes the way you look at everyone when you really understand Calvary. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for who? Themselves. But for him who died for them and what does it say? Rose again. For, them, for him who died. That is wild because most of Christianity today is motivated by one of two things. I was driving down the road in West Virginia about a year ago. Had the privilege of doing a series about an hour from my house. That means I got to sleep in my own bed every night. That is a novelty as well in my life. I was driving home and the windy roads are two churches on either side. And I don't know if anyone else in the room is like me, but I hate the stupid stuff we put on billboards in front of churches. Some of it's good, but some of it's just like... What? And maybe it's just my generation, but I just think it's corny, cheesy. And some of it's just downright wrong. And this was one of them. Two of them on either side of the road. I think they were competing with each other that week. But one of them said, heaven, not just our destination, but our motivation. And the other one on the other side said, the judgment. How will you stand? You can't make this stuff up in West Virginia. It's there. <laughs> and I'm thinking about my postmodern friends. I mean, that's really? That's really going to reach them? And do you know what postmoderns, they look at that, and you know what they look at it and see it saying? Yep, it's all about you. You know what the world is crying out for today? Tell me there's something greater to live for than myself. That's really what even the heathens are wanting, aren't they? Tell me there's something greater to live for than myself. Well, when you encounter God's love and its extravagance, what does it really do in your heart? We're going we're gonna to experiment with that next Saturday because we're out of time this Saturday. That experiment I told you I've been wanting to do for two years? We'll do it next weekend. Sorry. We're out of time. We're out of time.
Not gonna, I know better. But that's really what conversion is, brothers and sisters. It's not that now you can go to heaven. That's not what conversion is. Making the decision to accept Jesus in order to go to heaven, God will take you wherever you're at, amen? But Jesus himself said, he who seeks to save his life will what? Lose it. Chew on that for a minute. If your decision to follow God is simply an endeavor to save your own skin, I remember being at GC up in Toronto. How many years ago was that? Nobody knows? You guys are such good Adventists. Yeah, 2000, 10 years, no, five years ago, no, 10 years ago. It was two, th- yeah, 10 years ago. Whew, it's been 10 years since I've been to a GC, man. And I was sitting there across the table having lunch with one of our infamous theologians of our church. And I will not mention you his name because I do highly respect this guy, although I don't agree at all with what he said. And we were debating some issues about the gospel and Issues that he thought were subtle differences that really didn't matter. And issues that I thought were huge that really did matter. And he said, listen, Herb, what does it matter? He said, the only thing that matters is getting this carcass into the kingdom. I realized at that moment... This conversation was done, not because I wanted it to be, because we weren't just going to get any, we weren't going to get anywhere today. So we shook hands, parted as friends, and we still like each other. But I have chewed on that for 10 years in the quietness of the evenings when I'm by myself. God, please tell me. It's about more than getting this carcass into the kingdom. Please. There's got to be something more. And then you encounter God's love one day and you realize, oh, there is so much more. It's not all about you. There is something that awakens in you where you don't care about yourself anymore. Your passion in life, every waking moment, becomes, to leave God, becomes leaving God with a sense of Him feeling overloved and overjoyed. Amen? And it's no longer, how much do I have to do and can still squeak by? No matter what you are called to do, you never feel like it's enough to say thank you. How many would like to encounter God like that? That's what it's about, isn't it? Stay with me this week, will you? Because that's where we're headed. That's where we're going to end up. Love does not seek its own. That is what God is seeking to transform us into. The most other-centered people on the planet. 1 John 4, he said, well, how does the Sabbath play into that, Herb? I thought we were, you know, end times and Mark of the Beast, Seal of God, all that. Download the series I mentioned to you earlier. You'll see it. It is connected. Love does not seek its own. How do we do it? We love only because he first loved what? Us. That means don't walk out of here tonight and make it your goal to love everyone else. Make it your goal to really understand, know, and once you understand and know it, believe it. Because there will be days when you're tempted to believe it's too good to be true. 
Faith is not feeling like, faith is not believing God loves you when you don't feel like it. Faith is believing God loves you when you feel like he doesn't. Do you understand the difference between those two? It's not in the absence of feelings. It's in opposition to feelings that would seek to tell you different. It's when you seek to go against the voices in your head and choose to believe that you still are God's beloved child in whom he is well pleased. And you say, but God, but Herb, I'm struggling with this in my life. In whom he is well pleased. He is not pleased with what you're doing, but he loves your guts. You cannot change that. We love because He first loved us if we will set our passion on coming to really know how much we are loved. The, once again, only way the character of God can be reproduced among us as a people is that we come to know the love with which we are loved. By love is love awakened. And we've been saying it for years, but it really is true. It's as simple as by beholding we become changed. And it's not that he rubs off on us. It's not like that. It's when you behold how much he loves you, that is life changing. Amen? That's what we're beholding. It's much more personal than maybe what we've made it. Beloved, let us love. We've got to finish up. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is what? It's from God. This is how he asks us to live. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not what? Here's what I mean, John's saying it. If you have trouble loving people around you, do you know why it is? You don't know him yet. So what's the solution? Try harder to love your neighbor? No. You've got to know God. Get to know God. For God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested to us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that He might live through Him. Some of you are asking the question, well, Herb, what, where does Adventism then fall into all of this? Please don't miss Wednesday and Thursday night. We're going to be looking at how what we believe, although the court Saturday will still be the Sabbath. Are you, are you with me? When you die, you'll still sleep. The wicked will still be annihilated. But when you begin to see what we teach in the light of this, all of a sudden they become wholly different to you and the way you present them becomes wholly different as well. Which nights are those? Wednesday and Thursday, don't miss it. Ephesians 4, and this was Paul's prayer for this reason. Let's just end there tonight. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I recently had a church that called me up and they said, Herb, would you come and do a series? And I, I knew why this church was calling. This church was struggling deeply with dysfunction. There was legalism, there was guilt, there was abuse, there was one family running the church. Herb, would you come and do a series at this church and please help us? I said, I don't know if I can, but I'll, you know, I know God can, and I'll come and try to be a conduit for that. 
But then I asked him, and I got this from a, an author that I was reading at the time. I said, listen, I just thought I'd throw it out there because, you know, you come up with some new ideas and you think, well, let's try that. I said, if I come and share with you the way that I see God, are you willing to take the risk that for a time, everything that's being done in your church is going to get, yeah, worse. nothing is going to get done. It's going to make things worse, not better. They said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, from what you've described to me, 90% of what is going on in your church, whether good or bad, is motivated by guilt. And when you come to the cross, what's going to be taken out of the equation? Guilt. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God's going to deal with that. And so your church is going to have to go through a transition period where you learn to do things for different reasons than what you've previously been doing them. And it might get a little messy for a while. Have you ever seen people go through that transition? Pendulum swing kind of goes back and forth until they find the balance. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That He should grant you. Are you willing for it to get a little messy? Are you willing for it to get a little messy in your life so that God can take you somewhere higher? Somewhere deeper? Something much more intimate with Him? To pull back the veil and invite you into the Holy of Holies. Are you willing for it to get a little messy for a while in order to get to the other side? Do you remember when the woman asked, how many were here last night? When the woman asked, give me the living water, what did Jesus have to bring up? Go get your husband. Did it get a little messy for a few moments? That he would grant you according to the riches of who he is. His glory. What do we know his glory to be? His character. His love. That he would grant you according to the riches of what he is. To be strengthened with power. Through his spirit. Where? On the inner man. On the inside. We're still arguing over what's going on on the outside. God wants to work a change first where? On the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your... How do you get God in your heart? How does God get in your heart? Hold that question. We're going to come right back to it. The answer is right here. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in what? I love the wording here. Because when we talk about someone being rooted and grounded as an Adventist... What does that mean? Talk to me. What does that mean? Someone's rooted. They are grounded. They're, what does that mean? That means Ellen White could come back to life and they still wouldn't go to church on Sunday. Are you hearing me? It doesn't matter what happens. They are going to be an Adventist of the day they die. They are rooted and grounded and nothing is going to change them on that point. What would it mean to become rooted and grounded in God's love? Isn't that what he's praying for? That we would be rooted and grounded in what? 
in love. That means no matter what happens, no matter what you, no matter what people, nothing can uproot, nothing can move you away from the burning conviction that you are the passion of this being we all call God. That's what it means to be rooted and grounded. And that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you, notice this is the reason, this is the reason why he's praying for this to happen, that you would come to encounter his love in all of its dimensions so that you may be filled up with how much? All the fullness of who? By love is love awakened. When you know about him, you become like him. When you come to know his love, is that awakened in you back towards him and towards others? The fullness of God. I don't know about you, but that, that gets me excited. That is different to me. And how does it come? Through being rooted and grounded. How do you get Jesus in your heart, brothers and sisters? That was Paul's prayer, that Christ may dwell in. What does it even mean? I have a seven-year-old, 13-year-old, seven-year-old, two-year-old. My seven-year-old looks at her chest every time I say, is Jesus in your heart today? She looks at her chest. My two-year-old thinks I'm nuts. He'll grow up and realize that's true. But what does it even mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means to me. My wife is in my heart. Do you know what that means? My kids are in my heart. What does it mean for God to be in your heart? I think it's a lot more than just walking down front and accepting Him as your Lord and Savior while the organ's playing. Isn't it? What does it mean for God to be in your heart? And how do you get Him there? How do you? Any answers? Any, any answer? Any ideas? Ask. Okay, what else? Okay, he's knocking. Listen. Study his word. Wrestle. Kick self out. Be his friend. All those are good answers, but as we close tonight. Jesus. God himself. Will be in your heart. When you start to realize it's not so. And hear me out. It's not so important that he be in your heart, but that you see you are in the heart of God. Are you hearing me tonight? Because if you see how deeply you are in the heart of God, I guarantee you he'll be in your heart. Amen? That's where our focus needs to be. To know him and his love in all of its depth and dimension that surpasses knowledge. How many are with me this week? That's where we're headed. Don't miss a single evening. Next Saturday night, I had it open. I didn't know what God said. Just leave it open. 
you don't have to give Gary an outline for that night. I said, okay, but he's going to yell at me. He said, it's okay, he's yelled at me too before. I said, okay, God. <laughs> but to, to next Saturday night, we're going to finish some of the things we did not pursue tonight. So, tonight wasn't the most important presentation of the week. It was part one of the most important presentation of the week. Because really the question needs to be answered then. How do we come to know Him? How many would like to go home this year with something very tangible that can lead you step by step into a fuller knowledge of what God thinks and feels towards you over the next 12 months? Where you don't need this. You don't need herb. You don't need all this. You, you, you figure out the how of it. How many would like that? How many would the how? Yeah, that's next Saturday night. Sorry. We were going to get there tonight, but it's, it's already late. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you so much tonight for the thoughts that you have shared here this evening. Lord, I am just so moved by what you want to do among us as a people. You have brought us so far, God. You have, you have corrected doctrinal error. Thank you so much. You have corrected self-destructive lifestyle. Thank you so much. But Father, the last frontier where all of this is headed is the discovery and the correction not only of how we see you, Lord, but how we reflect you to the world around us. Father, I pray not just even for the world, but even right now in my heart, God, I pray for our kids. Because God... We've taught them doctrines and lifestyle. But many of them have yet to fall in love with you. We have failed miserably in that department. And Lord, that's because in our heart, we're not. If we're honest, many of us aren't in love with you yet. Father, that's nothing for us to feel guilty over. That's something for us to realize our need in. That we really do need to come to a deep encounter with what is in your heart for every one of us. So Father, this week, bless us to that aim. For your sake, once again, Lord, that you would feel overloved and overjoyed as we come to know you more fully. So God, for your sake, reveal yourself to us this week. In your precious name we pray all this. Amen. Thank you for hanging out with me this evening.